Now, welcome to another inspiring edition of Sound Insight with Dr. Tom Curran. Good morning. Welcome to the program. This is Dr. Tom Curran. And today I'm joined by my wife, Carrie. Hey, Carrie. Hi, Tom. Hey, it's great to kick off the week having you on early in the week rather than just on at the end of the week. That's been a real gift this Lent. Is it, was that one of your Lenten sacrifices? Uh, it is. It is. It was the just. The month is still on. Yeah, just for February. We'll yes. see. We'll see whatever the Lord wants, right? That's that's the challenge. That is. Well, and I think we learned a lot of distinctions along the way. Uh, one of the important things that we're going to talk about today is a theme that has shown up on the program quite a bit called presence. Back in a minute. Hey, this is Dr. Tom Curran, the host of Sound Insight, but also a realtor serving wonderful folks like you in the state of Washington and in Idaho. I've had the privilege and pleasure of helping dozens of families in the last two and a half years discern and find a, a strategy, a path, and a plan to help their families find a whole new life in eastern Washington and northern Idaho. If I could be of service to you in that, I would love to. Please reach out drtomcurran.com, drtomcurran.com. Welcome back to the program. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the ways that you teach us about you and how to walk in your presence. Thank you, Lord, that you do not hide from us. Help us, Lord, to seek after you and long to see you face to face. And we make this prayer in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Carrie, I was going to say, how's your Lent going? Well, how is your Lent going? It's going good. I had a good week yeah. last week. Yes. It was better than the week before in some ways. I think the better part of it was more prayer and uh, more like going, wanting to pray, wanting to go to Mass. Um, so that part was great. Uh, well, but still one struggling. of the things I've noticed is oh, that you found a like a place to pray. <laughs> yeah, here we are, my humble office that one one of our daughters organized and cleaned for me, and she brought a couch in here, and some kinda... a couch and a rug and some lamps, and I brought some candles down, and there's it just is a actually a wonderful quiet place. There's a big huge window, uh, and it's quiet, and I feel like when I join you upstairs, we end up talking about let's see sports, God finances, kids, not in that order. Uh, so it's been really easy for me to focus and just to kind of hide away. Well, it's that sort of that spirit of come apart, right? Come apart from uh, from others in order to spend time with the Lord. I it's, wouldn't say that it's a, it's a desert, but yeah. Well, it's solitude, right? That's that's the, the definition of solitude is come apart from others in order to be uh, alone with the Lord. Yes, that's actually exactly what it is. And you know, it one of the fruits of solitude is a sensitivity to God's presence. And that, that's a theme of ours today. And it it's also, I want to say a, I don't want to say a fruit, I want to say a ramification of not praying. I, I don't want to say I, I haven't prayed, but I have not prayed even up to the standard of what I would typically pray day to day. It's a very interesting thing for me that this Lent I'm experiencing, I want to call it the battle against the flesh, 
like my interior resistance against, well, prayer and fasting. The very things that I'm drawn to uh, in the course of you know my my normal, let's call it ordinary life of faith, and things that I'm even willing to extend myself uh, in in uh, you know in more generous ways, I am finding that my battle continues against my own flesh, against the, uh, the like the clarity of saying. I'm going to pray more today, and here's how I'm going to accomplish it. In, in the words of a very wise spiritual teacher named Kerry Curran, what's the plan? What's your plan? I, I need a plan. And I think that I have not had a planned enough day, and I've allowed it. I've allowed things to crowd out my prayer. And what one of the things I want to talk about today, and it'll lead to one of our key themes is a diminishment of the awareness of God's presence, a diminishment of the encounter with God's presence in my day-to-day life. One of the ramifications, Carrie, is that I become more clearly alert and aware to the fact that when I am confronted by my own weakness and inability, God is giving me a gift. And that's not an easy gift. It's not a fun gift. It's not a a gift that I would chase after. But when it manifests itself, when it shows itself in me, I have to remember that this isn't just a sign of my failure, but it's a sign of the Lord humbling me and teaching me that I need him. I am desperate for him. And that's a gift. That's a gift that he's going to give me. And maybe give me in a very distinct way in Lent. I do feel that. I do sense in those weaknesses of trying to fulfill my Lenten obligations that I, when I fail, there to look at it as a hope in him that he's going to restore me. He's going to renew me. He's going to illuminate me. He's going to heal me. He's going to, it is him, not me. And so in my weakness, in my littleness, the Lord comes. And it's important to not get discouraged. Yeah. And let's we can let's talk about a couple of different kinds of falling short. There's the falling short out of weakness, and then there's falling short out of willfulness. So I can fall short in and like Peter, James, and John fall asleep in the garden when the Lord is asking me to stay alert and pray. But then I can also fall short in the garden by betraying Jesus with a kiss. And those are two different kinds of falling short. And I think that it is easy to get, I mean, truly discouraged when we're betraying the Lord versus when we fall out of weakness. I think I'm talking more about the second one. Are you really? Yeah. Because, okay, well, let me give you an example. Here's something I'm wrestling with a bit. So this is, you know, not just Lent, but this is a Sunday in Lent. And um, on Sunday, I had a lot of real estate work to do. And it's like, what's the Lord's day? Should I not be working? Well, no, let me say that again. It's the Lord's day. I should not be working. So my default setting ought to be in accord with God's law. It's a day of rest. It's a day where I've set apart what I'm doing that this time for the Lord. And at the same time, I have these folks that I'm serving 
who are making requests of me that, let me say, in the moment, feel like they I have to attend to them. It reminds me of a funny joke I saw on, online. Uh, McDonald's sent out on their reader board. Um, no, it was Chick-fil-A. They said, we have ice cream that and machines that don't break down. And the McDonald's responded, we have chicken sandwiches served on Sunday because Chick-fil-A closes on Sunday. And I think you really have to get it. Into- oh, but were they joking about? Back and forth. Too, no, did McDonald's? Their ice cream sh- machines. machines are notorious for breaking oh, down. Really? Yeah. Okay. Well, I've experienced it a few times. Okay. Yes. Uh, but I think it's just in their culture. Like everyone knows it's not open. And I think it's your, do, do you want a solution? Do you want me to tell you what to do? Oh, no. That wasn't what you're if, trying to if do, I, right? If I hear the solution, everyone's, then I'll be I'll be held accountable. Everyone's going to know what it's like to be married to me. Uh, but if you just set the expectation, I don't do this on Sunday, I think most of your clients or most people find that commendable. Yeah, they actually respect that. Yeah. And so I don't, uh, I do treat Sunday differently. I spend a lot less time and uh, on any kind of work, especially during the day, like in Sunday evening, then I can transition back to, okay, I'm getting ready for the week. So that doesn't feel like I'm betraying the Lord in, in working if it's Sunday night. You know, I think I struggle with having clear habits or guidance in my day-to-day. I have so much freedom, as do you. I mean, you are seriously serving and working, helping people, but we are our own bosses. And so I think with the amount of time I have, it allows for me to be somewhat frivolous. Not you, just me. And so I don't have these clear, clean, like I'm getting up at this time. This is when I work out. This is when I pray. This is when I make breakfast. This is blah, 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 blah. I can just kind of float through the day and do the things I need to do, but I have a lot of space. Yeah. You have, you have a lot of, um, uh, you have a lot of uh, disposable time. Oh, d- no, it's called discretionary time. That's probably a better way. Uh, yeah. I don't think you have that, but I also feel that there is a way in which you don't have a boss boss. That's that's true. I think that, and, and folks, listen listen to this and listen to your own heart and your own personality, like your own style. Uh, I have a servant's heart. And so I will tend to drop things to serve the person who comes knocking at my lot on the door of my life. Pretty much any phone call that rings a phone call a text <laughs> tom answers the phone all the time I'm like you don't have to answer it why are you answering it don't answer the phone we're talking <laughs> we're having a meeting I, you know though it's there, there's something full well, for instance uh last night i drove luciana to volleyball practice it's a 10 minute drive and i i was picking up liliana from practice so i texted someone who had reached out to me earlier saying can i talk to you you know, I had given him kind of a free strategy session and just was helping him out. And he says, I've got to follow up. Can you help me out? So I was just so busy all day. I didn't have a chance to reach back out to him. And it sounded like it was really important to him. So I said to Luciana, Luciana, I'm going to make a call during, I might get a call during this car ride. And sure enough, the call, the phone rang as I was like literally going out the door and I answered the call and in my little earbud, had a phone conversation with him all the way to the gym and uh, into the gym and, uh, and waited. Oh, you went into the gym to get Liliana? Yeah. 
I wait out in the car. See there, the servant spirit. You <laughs> don't have a servant spirit. <laughs> I was like, Liliana, when Lucy comes in, I'm waiting for you in the parking lot. I'll be parked right here. I want to go in and I want to look at my daughter. I've got eyes for my daughter on the court. And I want to see how my other daughter's received by her teammates and say hi to a couple of the coaches and the parents. That's and- a better way to do it, honestly. I'm usually like, did I shower today? What do I look like? Did I put makeup on? I don't think so more about what happened. So what happened was in this phone call, I added a lot of value to this guy that he didn't have on his own. And he was so appreciative. And so I gave him the time I had with my daughter one-on-one for the sake of serving him. Now, was that the right thing to do? Yes, I think that's, that is the right thing to Maybe do. Maybe not every time, right? So it would be- well, That was a new conversation. And I guess if it's somebody who calls you regularly or- often. Yeah, or... I could wait. But then I knew that I also had somebody waiting for me at home, you. Now, what does this have to do with uh, presence? So what this has to exactly has to do with presence is that if we are not di- using discretion, do you know, I said discretionary time. Do you know the word in Latin, discretio? Do you know what that refers to? It sounds Italian. No. Discernment. Okay. So discretionary time is time where you are called upon to discern what is the Lord asking of me? Well, guess what? There's something really powerful here. The idea that, in fact, the Lord is present to you in the present moment and that his will for you, he will prompt in you in a way that you will have this instinctus, this instinct this interior sense of what the Holy Spirit is prompting you to do. But all of that is dependent upon having spiritual radar on, you know, turned on and on alert. So good, Tom. Right? I mean, that's the way you want to live. That's the way I want to live. It's not what am I thinking in my mind, what I should do, where I should go, how I should act. It's Lord, what do you want me to do? Where should I go? Lord, how do you want me to see this thing? And you just made it so personal the way you said it. Lord, what do you want for me right now? Which is not, hey, what is God's will as it's expressed in the commandments and in the church's teaching on the duties of my state in life? No, it's a personal following of the personal Lord who's personally present to me right now and can prompt me in this moment towards this person in this conversation over there, away from that, like this. But all of that requires a vitality of union with the Lord and the sensitivity to his presence in the in the now moment, in the here and now. And that's what he wills for our lives. The brothers and sisters, the living God intends for you to have a sensitivity to the personal presence, not the not the like a vague, misty divine presence but the personal presence of the living God who is present to you and communicating to you his will in the right now moment. We will only have that. We will only have that if we're praying. It's by God's grace that is nurtured. It's fostered. It it, it, it grows through our personal prayer, through the life we live that is rooted in that prayer. And towards the the sacraments, which are going to nourish the very life of God within us. That's what I'm talking about today, is 
what God's will is for us is that personal sensitivity to the living presence of Jesus Christ. And that has suffered in my life in the past two weeks. And it's suffered because I have not prayed the way that I've typically prayed. I have not fasted the way I typically fast. And this battle, which is distracting me and dispersing me and diverting me from prayer, is diminishing God's presence. Back in a minute. Hi, this is Dr. Tom Curran, and you know me as the host of Sound Insight. I am also letting folks know that as a realtor licensed in the state of Washington and in Idaho, I love serving Catholic families and others who are discerning a move for yourselves. It's much more than buying or selling a home. It's discerning a whole new life. If that's something that you would find uh, a help in, if I could be of service to you, please be in touch. You can find out more at drtomcurran.com, drtomcurran.com. Welcome back to the program. So, Carrie, what do you think about that? God's presence. Uh, It's this theological idea. We live our lives in conspectu dei. In conspectu dei means in the sight of God. But in the sight of God doesn't just mean, again, a general sense of God is out there, but it's sort of like um, as a father when I'm at uh, a playground and my kids are playing. Are they aware that they're playing in my presence? And when they know that I'm there, how much more does that free them to act in a certain way, right? To They, they play with the sense of gusto and, and all that. And then especially it's like, dad, chase us, right? The chasing game around the the playground, or uh, at, at a sporting event, if the kids know that we're in the crowd, it it's, makes all the difference in the world. I like that. I, I like, I, I think it's easy to go about our day and forget that our father is pursuing us and he's gazing upon us. I think it's easy for me to be doing the dishes or laundry or filling out a checkbook and just like, what's next? What's the next thing? What's the next thing? And just every now and then, oh, yes, Lord. I, and I think I've mentioned this before. Just the first moment you wake up in the morning, what is my heart's first thought? It's like, Lord, I give you this day and all that I shall do, else, all that I say, say. Shoot, How about this? Think? When you wake up, you realize when you wake up, your eyes open and there's the Lord at your bedside. How's that? He's at your bedside. <laughs> like of Alaska, the dog comes running in and you're aware of our dog's presence when she comes to, you know, comes into the room, right? But that, I think that it is a very common phenomenon. Pope Benedict talked about this quite a bit, that too many Catholics, and, and he is an incredibly brilliant theologian and philosopher, too many Catholics express a faith that is intellectual and is based on following a moral duty, an ethical path. And his proposal is that's not being a Christian. Being a Christian isn't just a matter of having Catholic ideas in your head that you can speak to, 
or you're following an ethical path, but that the way you live, how you see and relate and live in this world is traced back to and flows from an encounter, an encounter with Jesus Christ that is so striking that he uses the word event to describe it. And I think you mean daily encounter. I think you're pointing to the fact that my Lent hasn't been amazing because I've missed those morning devotions, that time of just encountering him. And that is so evident. I that feel nurture the encounter. That nurture it. I, it's so easy for me to become lukewarm or to be compromising in my fervor or to let so many distractions pull me or worries or anxieties or the pleasures in that it's the first thing I think that leads me to be lukewarm is that lack of trusting surrender prayer encompassed by him being guided led by him and constantly looking to him right and and this is the part of our faith that is I'm going to use a I'm going to use a word that is going to be misunderstood, Gnostic. Gnostic has to do with the idea of secret knowledge, that you don't understand it unless you've been initiated into it, then you have that consciousness of it, right? I don't mean Gnosticism. What I mean is there are certain parts of our life of faith that you don't get until you've experienced it. You just don't get it until it is so deep in your in your bones that you're like, oh, I know exactly what you mean. And that's the difference between reading about something and having lived it. It's the difference between knowledge and wisdom, right? Wisdom is uh, that same knowledge, those same ideas that have been forged in the core of your being through the furnace of what you've experienced in life. And, and that's that's what I'm talking about by the by the presence of the Lord. Like, if you followed my day in the last week, you wouldn't say, oh, Tom's been doing terribly sinful things. That No, I haven't. But it's not that. That's not the point. The point is there's a difference between going through your day doing the same things and going through your day aware of God's holy, loving, fatherly, lordly, saving, redemptive presence. His personal presence communicating to me, interacting with me, moving me, drawing me, calling me, stretching me. That, that's the life of a disciple. The, the life of a disciple is so much more than just saying, I'm, I'm fulfilling the duty of my state in life, and I'm saying Catholic stuff, and I'm doing Catholic things. It, 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 John Paul II, Pope Benedict, it's the encounter. It's the event. It's the practice of the presence of God. And when you add to that, as you encounter him, that you're doing it things for him, with him, on behalf of him, like an, an offering up, whether it's a, a job or a task or something that's difficult, that it's more doing it for him, with him. It's all personal. Through him, in him. Yeah. <laughs> in the yeah. of the Holy Spirit. It, but it means everything's personal, right? Everything's personal. I can, like, I'm, I'm, it's the difference is this. I make a phone call. And I make the phone call. And before the phone call, I'm saying, Lord, just please be with me as I make this call. Or I feel the interior permission to make the call. And then during the phone call, I'm having a sensitivity to the Lord prompting me and saying, don't go there. Uh, restrain yourself. Don't go down that trail. Or go down that trail. Speak to this. <laughs> Now, how often in our relationship does the Lord say, 
Don't go down that trail. Oh, honey, if you have no Speak idea, heaven will reveal all. Reveal. Heaven will just, reveal all. <laughs> what is it? What you call when you say just veil, veil, veil? <laughs> and it, it's God's grace that will cover um, things that, again, without God's presence, without that rich manifest sense of God's presence, God's presence, I, I find that it's more of a fog, right? I think about, I went to Mass most every day in the last week. And you know what? I was in a fog most every day at mass. And it was, it wasn't that I, like if people looked at me, they wouldn't have seen anything different. But my own sense of awareness of God's presence was dulled. It was dulled because, because I wasn't praying the way that I normally pray. And I wasn't praying the way that I felt called to pray in Lent. Well, thanks for sharing so honestly and openly. That's really helpful. I think it's, it's encouraging and it's, uh, it's a guide to say, okay, I can relate to that. And now what do I want to do? I love this quote I have by Fulton Sheen, where he says, each task or duty is like a blank check. The value it possesses depends on whose name is signed on it whether it's done for the I's sake or for God's sake. And it's all about what is the motive and what is sanctification and, and what it depends on. It, it's what, who are we doing the, these things for? Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, there's that famous sacrament of the present moment, Jean-Pierre de Cassade. He, he talked about that every moment can be broken open and can be a place of, it can be a sign and a place of communication where God reaches out to us. And, and that that's a really powerful way of saying it, that every moment, every activity, every thought, every word is a blank check. And is it invested with God's presence or not? And folks, if this is like a foreign idea to you, what I want to encourage you is, oh, here, here's a, a, a great analogy. Uh, when you're in God's presence in prayer, it has an effect on you. And that effect is you're going to carry with you outside of prayer. Excuse me. Um, Luciana, when uh, I was driving her home from volleyball last night, um, someone, uh, so she was saying, oh, all these kids went on, East, uh, went on their winter break to Hawaii. And she said, oh, my goodness. I thought they went to uh, Texas. No, there were a bunch of, no, no, not the kids on her team. Oh, from she the said school. a bunch of kids were in really sunny environments because they had nice tans. They had nice tans. And she didn't. And they all had these nice tans. Why? They were in the presence of the sun and they were soaking in the presence of the sun. Now, you all have probably heard that analogy before. That when you are in the presence of the sun, you have to do nothing but just be exposed to the sun. And if you just are there and you're exposed to the presence of the sun, guess what happens? When you leave the presence of the sun, you carry forth the impact, the influence of the presence of the sun. The same is true with God. The same is true with Jesus Christ. And you can be in his presence when you're praying. Just literally pray in the morning when you pray, whether that's in silence, whether it's God's word whether it's the liturgy of the hours, whether it's singing some beautiful hymns or songs of praise, uh, whatever your form of prayer, 
if you are seeking after the one who is even more fully and quickly and firstly seeking after you, he's knocking on the door of your heart and you make room for him and you open yourself to him. He is going to come and he's going to shine on you. He's going to soak into you and you're going to carry forth the fruits of that time of dwelling together in prayer into your day. It will radiate and you, you don't have to do anything but have been in his presence. And I'm telling you, you'll miss it. You'll miss out and you'll miss out on the fruit and the impact of having been in his presence. And that is, I mean, it's like, if that's a painful, humbling lesson, this Lent, Lord, please stop teaching me it. I don't like that lesson. I don't like going to mass and kind of being in a fog and not having a sense of the clear presence of the Lord that I'm worshiping and that Jesus is here and I'm meeting him and he is provoking me and, and, and coming to me and, and moving me. Right. I don't want to just walk through my day, just doing stuff. I want to walk with the Lord, right? God came to Adam after he had fallen and, where are you, Adam? Why are you hiding? I, the Lord used to come and walk with Adam in the garden in the cool of the evening. And do, do we do that, brothers and sisters? Do you walk through your day in the cool of the morning with the sense that the Lord is walking with you, with the sense that the Lord is knocking on the door of the right now moment of your life? I, that It is so fundamental. And I just wish, I, I wish more priests would teach on this. More bishops would teach on this. I am not making this stuff up. This is scripture. This is our entire tradition. This is the entire tradition of any theology or practice of discernment. This is all about prayer, going deeper into prayer. I mentioned two books already, Brother Lawrence of the Resurrection, The Practice of the Presence of God, Pierre de Cassade, uh, The uh, Sacrament of the Present Moment. It is uh, Self-Knowledge and Self-Discipline. It is John Paul II, Pope Benedict, and yet we so we hear so little about how near, intimate, personal, profound, and life-giving the presence of Jesus Christ is, who intends us to live as his disciples with that sensitivity to his living, lordly presence. Well, and I think that is what Lynn is about. I think it's trying to figure that out or trying to spend time with the Lord, making these different acts of um, prayer and almsgiving. And what's the third one? Fast. Fasting. <laughs> to remove the blockages. To remove the blockages, to come back to that that first love, to move away from the areas, the things that keep us distracted or keep us bound up. Or Right. And, and so bound up, to be unbound and set free, to and, sever the connection to those fleshly things that diminish our awareness of God's presence. This book, The Practice of the Presence of God, um, I don't know how I got it. I pulled it out of the bookshelf. But hey, the reason, one reason I love it, it's only 112 pages. <laughs> the second reason I love it is the pages are half the size of a typical book. <laughs> the third reason I love it is I feel like I can read half the book in one mass setting or prayer setting, um, like an adoration or whatnot. And it's simple. The fourth reason is accessible. It's, it's accessible. Simple. Yeah. And he makes it like sometimes we can talk theology, but and it feels complicated and heavy and burdensome. And 
you read this and it feels light and doable and encouraging. So the practice of the presence of God. I have you read this yeah. many times or a couple of times? I've read it or? a couple of times. We I believe we read it in our book club. Um I don't know, six or seven years ago. It was one of the first books that I read. Oh, This okay. would be back in the mid-80s, early to mid-80s, when I had an awakening of faith. My spiritual director- I Gave this to yeah. you. Yeah. It's so doable. It's the spiritual secrets of a humble brother who enjoyed closeness with God. And that's what he did. And he said he, I could relate to him, he did the dishes and did not like it. Yeah. But everything he did was- for the Lord, with the Lord. And he, he's like, why do we have to have prayer time? I'm just praying all, all day long. I don't need these like set aside devotions to the Lord. All that he did was just pure of heart and good of heart. Oh, it's a very inspiring book. If you need a book to inspire you, because it is true, Tom, sometimes I do feel burdened or weighed down by the Christian call. It is not easy when I do it on my own strength. Yeah. So the, he, 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 he's a great example of this paraphrase I love to make from the catechism that says, you know, St. Paul says, pray always. And the catechism says, you won't pray always unless you pray sometimes. And, and what's that whole idea? The reason why he sensed God's presence at all times, everywhere, was that he had such profound encounters with the Lord at specific times in specific places when he did pray. So, brothers and sisters, I my own personal prayer times weakened, and as a result, the rest of my day had a weakened sense of God's presence. Back in a minute. Welcome back to the program. It's great to be with you. So, Carrie, we're talking all about the uh, like living in the living in conspectu day, living in the presence of God. And that's what the Lord wills for us. And you uh, alluded to the fact that. Okay, the Lord wants this for us, but we can get discouraged because we're not experiencing it and how Lent is meant to help us remove the blockages to this experience of God's presence, this encounter with God's presence. One of the ways that, one of the principal ways that the Lord has given to us through the church to have an encounter with Christ, specifically at those places in our lives that are blocked from God's presence and in a communing with God is confession. And confession is still, so sadly, one of those sacraments that so many Catholics run away from. Though I would say in the last 10 years, I don't know if you call it a revival, but maybe it's just where maybe in our own family's life, uh, we have found that confession has taken on much more of a front and center position in my own kids' spiritual lives. Um, and I think even in our own lives. Uh, I'm looking at your book here, Tom. And What's my book called, Carrie? Uh, oh, let's see. Confession. Confession. Five sentences that will heal your life. This is actually pretty good. <laughs> actually, I'm really enjoying your book, uh, which I feel kind of bad that I haven't read it more seriously. I have. I just forgot. You better be confessing. <laughs> you better be confessing that you've never read my book on confession. Well, I that's about fifteen years old. <laughs> I just thought it'd be a really good time to go to confession or to to recall the power of confession or to just try to break down what it is because you want to make a good confession, and it does feel like a big 
steep climb? Like, what is a good confession and what's entailed in it? And how do I even get there? And how does it happen? It doesn't, I don't feel like I can just go to confession and there you go. I feel like it's something that weighs on me or it's prompted in me for a week, maybe 10 days where I'm just praying through. Yes. Oh, wow. How, wait, how long does it prompt on way on you? Uh, I, you know, so one of the themes in this book is living a confessional life. Like if you live your life kind of going from confession and headed towards confession, then the idea of confessing day to day is like practicing the presence of God. Well, I don't think, you know, lately we've been doing, what do we do at nighttime with prayer? We're doing a, what's called Compline or night prayer in the liturgy of the hours. But you're allowing for us to kind of reflect on things we've done to offend each yeah. other. So and the Lord's and- in uh in a, let's say in a monastic setting, um, when you pray night prayer, there will be a period of time at the beginning of night prayer where you do what's called an examination of conscience. That's what it is. So I just don't do that naturally. I need like the, I need the commandments. Yeah. Or I need the the seven uh, vices. Seven <laughs> deadly, deadly sins. sins. <laughs> I I need help. Like I don't naturally. Yeah. I don't know if I mentioned this when we had the women's conference. I just googled sins a wife can confess at confession, something like that. Really simple. And up came this whole document. And initially, I was like, oh yeah, I have a few sins I could confess. This is good. This will be great. And then I read some of these uh, different document pages and it was like, oh, well, I have a whole bunch more to add to that list. You could ask me. I would. Even you could not name all that was in this document. And then it was sins to confess as a mother. So things I've done to my children or that I've not done well. And I guess for children or for spouses, it's just a great tool to have some things that you think about or things that you've done, a lot of it's attitudes. Like I'm confessing a lot of attitudes I have, I think more than actual actions or my, you know, my thoughts. And um, it's just very convicting and also freeing. I don't mind accusing myself, but in your book, when you say 16 aspects of self-accusation, is that from St. Thomas Aquinas? Yeah. In the Summa Theologica, in the third part, he's talking about confession as a sacrament and you think about not just the sacrament, but at the essence of the sacrament from a human standpoint, it's to confess, right? It's called confession because it's the principal action that we're doing when we engage in the sacrament is we're confessing. And so Aquinas treats the act of self-accusation because that's what it is to confess is to accuse oneself. It's like a diamond and it has all these facets. It has all these aspects or attributes if you want to confess in a robust fashion, yes, it's going to manifest certain traits or qualities. And so he identifies 16, 16. of them. And I go through all 16 of them in you that book. Do. And they're all very good. But I'm looking at the last one. Confession should not be delayed. So sometimes I take a week, 10 days, because I need to do number. What was the number that I was really, I need to do number 13 better. I think it was number yeah, number seven, that I'm sorry, that I have tears, that I feel contrite, that I really... Why don't you read it? Uh, read, read some of the like the little bits of commentary on it. <laughs> on one or other of them. Like, hey, we oh, could I read this. You could actually do this for a whole radio show. Just start reading your book from the beginning to the end. <laughs> you could at least get eight shows in. Um, 
let me see where was that one about being teary-eyed i don't have it right away but this is the one the act of confession number 14 should be secret from the standpoint of the priest who hears your confession and from the standpoint of the person confessing and it's about the seal of confession which we talked about last week but why would i be secret about my sins or about what i confess is that yeah. what you mean well if you're too um if you're too overt about your sin it can reduce the esteem that people have of your name it can hurt your reputation uh -oh. it can also scandalize others or it might foster in them a sense of feeling like they have permission to do this since you've done it. Oh, that's really interesting. Yeah. So I actually have to be careful sometimes what I watch on TV or things that I read about in other people. And they say something and I see it has an effect on me if I'm not guarded. And not all the time, but just little tiny things. It's like, oh, that's really interesting that I now think it's okay to do that. Well, how many times does the mainstream media play a gotcha game where oh, this righteous Catholic leader, um, this caught was caught doing this. Yes. And all of a sudden now it's used as a bat to smash the entire Catholic faith. And the faithful can feel really diminished or weakened, or it can, it can sow seeds of doubt in them because of, well, I thought this guy was like a model for how we're supposed to live. And look what he did. This is terrible. Well, I don't know. Sometimes I just think that none of us are beyond some kind of bad sin. Yeah. I don't, I, I don't take any I think that, I human's think weakness. This too, is, this too is more about being modest. It, it, it's, about, saying, uh, it's about, it's more about, again, being discreet, that you just want to um, not have your sins just be publicized far and wide. All right. Number six is the act of confessing. The act of confessing should be tearful. We should shed tears over what we have done. The idea of deploring the sin we've committed to the point that we would cry about it is an idea that can be a challenge for us today. Okay, that's probably why I say to you, I really want to be sorry for my sins. And sometimes I'll sin and I'm like, Lord, I really know I hurt you, but I don't feel sad over it. I feel lethargic or like, oh, I did it again. Or did, oh, Did you read? I, I think I don't. I quote the catechism in there on that section about... Like, where do you, how do you foster a sense of tearfulness? Uh, yes. My sin pierces the heart of Jesus Christ. If you recall pictures of the sacred heart of Jesus, his heart is shown to us as a crown with thorns and pierced in dripping blood. Okay. So I need to like reflect on that and get, have, well, yeah. this is it. Sometimes my tears are a gift from him. I'm yeah, like, Lord, absolutely. I'm not sorry right now to the point of shedding tears, but I want to be. And so I'm waiting in that week <laughs> to 10 days. <laughs> To have the right spirit of okay. confessing. So let's just say it's it's grace and human effort. So part of the human effort would be, oh, if only we had an enthroned image of the sacred heart of Jesus in our house. Oh, we do. How about gaze upon that image? Like, I don't know. That's not. Meditate upon that image. That doesn't work for me. Too. Okay. But that's like a spiritual exercise. That's meditation. And if you do that and you ended up saying, Lord, as I gaze upon this enthroned consecrated image of you. Please reveal to me in a personal way. That's what sin is, right? It's this idea of personal. All of a sudden, my actions impact him. Look what I did to him. Now it's personal. And that makes all the difference. It's not just I broke a law. It's that I pierced a heart. So that's the, that's the kind of thing that, you know, um, that, that idea of how does it become tearful? It becomes tearful when it's personal. 
Yes, I agree. Uh, do you want to hear another one? Yeah, actually, we're up against a break. When we come back, we'll continue to dig into um, how do we continue to strip away the things that are blocking the growth of, of God's presence in our day-to-day life and in our prayer. Back in a minute. Welcome back to the program. So folks, we're talking a bit about the importance of confession. When was the last time you went to confession? Uh, When can you go to confession? One of the gifts that the Catholic Church tends to present to the faithful is during Lent, we have more opportunities to go to confession. And so look around, look at your bulletin, look at, you know, nearing near neighboring parishes, uh, go to confession. But this is again, teaching us how to make a good confession. Uh, number nine. What's number nine? The act of confessing must be open as in undisguised. How often do we go to confession? Do we use vague words or we dance around the sin? We are there to confess. I did it. We say that, but what I did specifically, I don't want to tell you openly, so I'll disguise it in describing the sin. Oh, Do you want me yeah. to read your examples? Go right ahead. <laughs> so this is just if a person, I think it says a man, is struggling with pornography. He'll say things like, I confess to going to some inappropriate websites. I confess to doing some bad things I'm not proud of on the internet. I confess to having conversations and seeing things on the internet that don't honor my wife. These things are all true, but they disguise as much as they reveal. Self-accusation happens when we state in undisguised terms what we did. Someone confessing internet pornography might accuse himself in this way. Several times a week, I spend as long as two hours on the internet on pornographic websites. I not only view inappropriate images and videos, but also engage in impure conversations. That was actually, I like that. Thank you, dear. Well, because uh, sometimes, and then I think there's another part in here. Sometimes I'm trying to order what things I should say first, right? second, third, fourth. And then it's like, okay, do I do all the sins against my kids? And then I do my spouse or then, and tip, honestly, Tom, most of my sins in confession are you. Like that, it seems so odd. Like you're the one I love the most and you're the one that I offend or I hurt the most. Which I guess it could be also Jesus it would be the first. <laughs> I'm second. <laughs> You're second. But it seems funny that a lot of the things I struggle with in confession are related to our married life. Does that seem so odd? No, not at all. Um, I would say, so two things. The first is, let's stick to the to this example. Oh, sorry. Yes. Uh, I think this is a huge deal for Catholics in confession, is that Confession is about accusing ourselves or bringing something out in the open. And the kind of brilliance of Aquinas is that he's saying, you're actually hiding something in the act of bringing it out into the open. You're hiding it in the act of disclosing it. And so hiding like what the, what the nature or severity or the specificity of the sin is. And it, this is something it's, you've got to break the habit. You've got to break the habit of doing that. And in the other one that you said is again a common one, which is okay. Let me what the it's often the case that Catholics that don't have a regular practice of confession are going because they're feeling a particular amount of shame over something they did, but they won't lead with it. 
they'll hide it to like the third or fourth thing. Should you lead with that? So there are, there are two different ways of doing it. Um, I, to, I honestly, I have to work up to it and then I can yeah. start crying. I got to get the tears. <laughs> <laughs> then that ends with the big whammo. And then the priest just feels bad for me. And he's like, you're, you're so good. <laughs> so my, the way that I go to confession, you've heard me say it before. It's not. Yes. Yeah. It's great. I didn't, I've never heard it. And I don't even know how people share how they go to confession, but yes, the way you do it is not how I do it at all. So I think it's very organized, clean, simple, it's straightforward. It has recommended. I know, but it's a little, it's a little it's, too straightforward for me. Okay. Go ahead. Share it with me. I, I go through the 10 commandments. So I start oh. with the first commandment and the first commandment is for me, sins against trust and sins of pride. So those are the typical sins that I'm confessing against God being God. Do you have to sometimes skip certain commandments? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, they're, they're, they're not all going to, well, here's the thing. On the one hand, you're only required to confess your mortal sins. However, spiritual fruit grows immensely when you confess even your venial sins. I'd be there all day. Well, I tend to, so I, I anything that is on my conscience, I bring out anything. Even if it's just a venial sin and I was like, oh, I don't have to confess this. No, I'll confess it because I, I want to experience healing and strength. And uh, I want to experience God's grace and in, in, in battling against this. So I'll go through the Ten Commandments. But so that so that's an organized way that could hide the sin that I really am being pressed upon to confess or feel most ashamed of. Okay. So what I will do is I will say, the Father the sin that is really burdening me today oh, that's a in good this way. confession is this particular sin here. So I'll say that. So I don't, you can do it first or in the midst of me doing this sort of organized walk through the commandments, I'll bring it out and say this one. All right. So uh, number 10, I really like this one. The act of confessing should be simple. If we start using a multiplicity of words, we tend to make unclear or complex what was simple. In confession, we sometimes want to tell the whole story. Uh, yeah, we don't need to do that. Um, I, I think I read it later on, but does, just the simplicity of it makes it feel doable. Did you want to add yeah. My kids ask a lot about this. I don't know if, if, you, if our kids ever ask you about how to go to confession, but my kids will ask me that. And they'll say, hey, Dad, do I have to, how specific do I have to get, right? Um, how clear do I have to be about how often well, I've done this or the number of number times? 11 says it should be entire. The act of confessing should be entire. Mm -hmm. So don't hold things back. That should be main dome. Okay, go ahead. Yeah. So, but simple. Well, what's the requirement? Yeah. <laughs> Interior. <laughs> I know that's, it's facets of a diamond. Tom. There's 16 things here that like I know I said, it takes is like a week to get ready for this. Yeah. Honestly. Okay. okay. Go ahead. So what's required is that you confess in a way that makes known to the priest, the, the essence of the sin that you you've confessed and the number of times you've done it to the best of your ability to, to know that you, you, you are not supposed to give too many details like surrounding circumstances uh, that it's like justify well, it. Well, if let me rationalize father, it. I had kids home this summer things. and it was just exhausting. Right. Well, well, and we can, we can do that. Right. But there, there can be certain aspects of circumstances that can impact the severity 
the, the seriousness of the sin. Um, but um, when it comes to confessing, you don't want to tell too many details to the priest because even that can be a burden to the priest. So the priest is like, look, I don't need to know that. I just need to know what are you confessing? Because I'm here to forgive you. I, I just, you know, it's it's a spiritual disease and I'm going to apply the cure. I just need to know what the sickness is so I can apply the cure. So that's that's what simple means, right? Don't give so many details that you've lost sight of the essence of what's being co- committed. And then entire means I'm I'm actually expressing the totality of what the sin is. I'm not just playing off a facet of it. And I'm going to actually identify how often I've done it, again, to the extent that that's possible. Yeah. You give really good examples in here, too. So it's really helpful. Your examples are really practical. And you explain it. If only you had read this book 14 (laughs) years ago, honey, when I... (laughs) Do I need to go to confession for this? (laughs) Well, hey, let me just say this. This book is available uh, as a free digital download. There you go. You don't even have to... You don't have to pay for it. it. Uh, Just go to mycatholicfaith.org and just click on the resource page and you can get access to the uh, free downloaded version. uh, No, honestly, it is a really good tool. As I read through this, I'm like, wow, I have a whole other thing to study. Better late than never, huh? <laughs> uh, ha- during uh, Lent, how often do you think you should go to confession? More than once? Like three times? Oh, yeah. I, I mean, um, well, you go as much as you need. What I notice right? more is a lot of parishioners that just don't go to communion. And I love that about the Latin Mass is that often you'll see several people not feel worthy to receive the Eucharist or for whatever reason, it could be other reasons too, I guess. I mean, who would not want to go receive Jesus, but that's typically the sense of I'm not worthy or there's something that I haven't been to confession. Carrie, it is, it's shocking to me that that many people go up to confession. No, 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 no. In our own family, in our own family, it's now not a like, Oh, take away your breath. I can't believe it. I think every week one of us is not going. Uh, It is really something, but that, that is absolutely not how we brought up our kids. And it's only in the last few years. And, and I think that is one of the fruits of going to the traditional Latin mass. And even if we're not going to that much anymore, that our kids, one or another will refrain from going to communion, which I, I find really actually quite inspiring that our kids inspiring. Yeah, not not like oh my gosh, what have they done? But oh, thank you, Jesus, that they have a they sensitivity that they realize that there is such thing as sin and a sin that can cut them off from communion, and they need to go to confession to be able to get back to communion. And then my kids will even say to me, "Dad, can we go to confession? Can we go to confession?" I love that. So, well, Carrie, thanks for walking with me today through the program. I hope and pray, brothers and sisters, that you experience God's presence and go to confession. <laughs>